and welcome to the Taste Uber Music Podcast. I'm Diana Lynn. After a 40-year career in corporate America, I took a huge U-turn and became a volunteer DJ on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Since 2010, I've been the host, programmer, and engineer of a weekly Americana Roots music show, The Tasty Brew. With this podcast, I'll be sharing conversations with artists and music industry insiders with the goal of entertaining and educating the listening audience, all while giving a voice to the music makers that are underserved or ignored by mainstream media. This episode of the Tasty Brew Music Podcast is a wide-ranging conversation with the very talented Chris Hudson. I spoke to Chris in conjunction with his selection as the Heartland Song Network's Artist of the Month for November 2020. Chris is a singer, songwriter, and composer with a passion for various forms of American folk music and fingerstyle guitar. Involved with local groups Gollywasher, The Barred Owls, and The Multiverse, Chris has released two full-length CD recordings continuing to experiment with new forms, instruments, electronic synth, and music genres, including experimental video soundscapes. Chris received his Bachelor of Music in 1996 from the UMKC Conservatory of Music. He has given solo performances in various concert series through the Kansas City Guitar Society, including the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art, the Downtown Library Series, and Guitars in the Garden at Loose Park. As a gifted and compassionate instructor and performer for over 25 years, Chris has a reputation for being a great source for music instruction in all styles. He is a laid-back, comfortable, and very approachable person. Chris has been a teacher with Kansas City Young Audiences since 2004, working at the Community School of the Arts. In 2007, Chris received the Kansas City Young Audiences Lighten Prize for Teaching Artist Excellence for his work with children, inspiring their love of guitar and musical collaboration in the garage band classes. He believes in giving back to the community what he's learned as a working musician and teacher, and performs regularly at various fundraisers for KCYA and the Community School of the Arts, encouraging volunteerism, community involvement, and funding for student scholarships for families with low incomes. Chris performs during the school year in local Kansas elementary schools for arts partners with the Kansas Settlers Band, teaching Kansas cultural history to fourth graders. Chris even became the interviewer toward the end of this conversation, asking me my musical background and my process for putting together my Tasty Brew Music radio show. Enjoy my conversation with educator, collaborator, and musical mentor, Chris Hudson. Mr. Chris Hudson, Artist of the Month for the Heartland Song Network for November November. 2020. We've about made it through this year. Just about. Three yes. more days. <laughs> Three more days, and uh, hopefully uh, we get past the third. Okay. Yeah, well, my birthday's the sixth, so I'm counting on it. We've got to get through that next three days. You know, in preparing for this conversation, you're one of the few musicians I've met in Kansas City that's from here originally hmm. and really has never lived anywhere no, else. Never lived anyplace else. You know, gone and tried the Nashville thing or LA or whatever. No, and no. then I've lived here the whole time. You lived here the whole time. Blue Springs High School. Blue Springs High School, then just kind of moved into the Kansas City Midtown area, just within Midtown. Well, I get it. I mean, I've yeah. I've been here for a long time and I don't have any plans. Yeah, to yeah. leave. Do you come from a musical family? My dad was was the most musical of the of the family, but basically my entire family is uh, working class, uh, 
uh, railroaders. You know, they, they were all switchmen. My dad was a switchman. And my dad sold freight. Yeah. For his entire career. So he, uh, so yeah, my dad, my dad was just, you know, when he was a kid, he was into writing poetry and he got together with his buddies in the 70s and, and they all played guitar and, you know, they played the song, You Ain't Going Nowhere. I remember that when I was about five years old, you know, just sitting around you know, the table, having a good time. And he's, he learned how to play guitar, had a had a kind of an old uh, Montgomery Ward's guitar. It was, was great. It was kind of... I think of, those are worth a lot of money now. Yeah, they still have yeah, them. Yeah. And so they're it, playable. Yeah. It, so I, I remember he put that in the corner and he just, he just told me not to touch it. <laughs> Did he encourage or discourage you from oh, he encouraged it? He encouraged me completely. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, he, he said not not to touch the guitar and I ended up just breaking the strings and he never said anything to me about it. You know? Kind of like the Randall Knife's story with Guy Clark. Right. Don't touch the knife, but he did and broke off the tip. And yeah, then, yeah, but my dad... No, nobody ever said anything yeah. about it. Yeah, so basically it's kind of, you know, that got me into playing. And you know, I was an only child, so... I mean, he would take me to all of his, like, friends' jam sessions. I hung out listening to music and, you know, did my homework and fell asleep, you know, just kind of listening to people playing music. So it sounds pretty ingrained. It was definitely ingrained, for sure. And um, What was your dad listening to? What kind of music were you uh, listening he was, to? He's totally into Neil Young, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Um, he liked Sweetheart of the Rodeo, the Birds album. Um, Jackson Brown was definitely always being played. Did you start with a guitar? Did you take piano lessons? I had a guitar, and then was Springs, I, I think it was sixth grade, I got into the school band, played clarinet, so I learned how to read with clarinet, and then kind of continued in clarinet for, I don't know, about four years, and started guitar, actually, when I was, for sure, guitar, taking lessons when I was about 12, and that was pretty, uh, you know, I just, I just started playing forever. You know? Did you have a memorable music teacher? Yeah, yeah, Walt Chambers, it was his name. Uncle Walt, I know him, we call him Uncle Walt. Oh, really, you know yeah. Walt Chambers? I do know Walt wow. Chambers. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's my teacher. He he's lived. a good friend of Carl Butler's. Yes, yes, he is. He plays with I've them all the time. I've seen him play many times. Yeah, Walt is an amazing guitarist. And, you know, he was... Uh, God, it's a small town. Yeah, he taught at this place. I mean, he was working at this place called Allied Music over in Independence. And I remember just walking in there on a summer day with my dad. And it was just kind of like this old kind of dingy guitar store. He was just sitting around jamming. And, you know, he took me downstairs into this into this lesson studio that was getting rid of it. It was kind of dilapidated. That's all I remember. And I had a guitar that, you know, I was like carving all my favorite bands and, you know, with a with a knife myself, you know, for some reason I thought that was cool. And he's like, oh, you like, uh, you like Van Halen. And he's was, he was like, have you heard of Richie Blackmore from Deep Purple? <laughs> yeah. So he like led me totally a very first lesson. He was like getting me into other types of music. They still play together. They call themselves the Guitar Army. Yep. Yeah. Carl's trying to get me to come and play with that. Hopefully that occurs because I would like to play with Walt again. Oh my goodness. That's a full circle. Yeah. Yes, thing it is. Right there. It is. And, you know, Walt basically, he was, a, you know, he studied with Douglas Mead at the conservatory. He was classical. He has had a, you know, has a major in classical guitar. See, I did not know that about him. And so basically I, I started classical guitar. I mean, I got grounded basically. My dad said, you can take classical guitar and not play guitar. I took classical guitar lessons from well, Walt. Well, it sounds like he understood and appreciated the value in that and how that was going to, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, make or break you. Exactly. As to whether you were going to be a player or not. Right. 
And so, yeah, my dad is, is huge. Walter is huge. You know, he, both of those guys, they got me, they got me stable enough to play music, you know, so it was a When deal. did you decide to go to the conservatory? Was that something right out of college or did you go to... It basically, I, uh, I kind of decided to do that when I got out of high school, but I, I, I ended up just going to community college for a couple of years so I could just get into the, mm-hmm. into, into the conservatory. So I didn't really get into the conservatory until I was about uh, 22, 23. I was 19, Probably appreciated it better though yeah waiting a little bit and yeah i mean i already knew how to play a bunch of pieces by the time i got into doug's class and douglas was you know, he's a great teacher he's a tough teacher uh but you know he got me he got me practicing like eight hours a day at the conservatory i mean that was the time that, you know that's how i met Bo. you know Bo bledsoe i mean we were basically practicing next to each other in, in practice practice rooms so i mean i've known i've known him ever since i was in the conservatory well for those of us who are not musicians and have never set foot inside the conservatory or a music school mm-hmm. how does kind of the day-to-day experience in a music conservatory change <laughs> uh, how is it different from going to a regular regular school it's, it sounds so intimidating it's so it's brutal Brutal, but yeah. at the same sense, it, it really for somebody like myself, it was it was a great place to go. I was just, I was enthralled with it. Practiced for hours on classical guitar. Took do you all get the, to pick what you're going to do, or do they kind of see something in you and try to steer you? Well, a Walter, direction? or not Walter, but uh, Douglas Doug Neat, he was always he, he seemed to he seemed to see in a sense that I already knew how to play something. So he kind of let me choose, kind of because they had everything else. He definitely you know wanted me to do this, this, and this. But I just remember remember taking his classes and had like this entire classical guitar transcribed Bach cello suite. It was cello suite number one. You know, I had to learn that two semesters. Don't say you know to me because I won't. <laughs> well, yeah, the cello I suite. I won't or I don't. So there, so that it, it was, it, it was transcribed for guitar. And, and I remember just like going in his class and I, the transcription seemed logical. And then he was just always changing the, the fingerings. And it just seemed like the fingerings just got harder and harder. But good challenge. You know, I got through it. As far as studying other types of, types of music, it was great to be able to play in the jazz bands so I got really into improvisational stuff that well, I was going to ask you that do they encourage or do you have the opportunity to generate music or create your own music or is it all about learning existing uh, theory it's, and it's, it's all of the above how much time do you want to spend how much time do you want to dedicate and it, yeah it's purely dedicating your, your all your time to music so yeah I wrote music I wasn't really writing lyrics at that point I was just writing my own classical guitar pieces, you know. It's also just, I was playing with, you know, I, I would take the, the jazz workshops and I'd practice those, practice with them, you know, some other players. I wasn't just like stuck in the in the practice, practice room just playing classical guitar. A lot of the other guitarists were doing that. You know, they would never set foot in a jazz jazz workshop. Um, the other thing we had to do was sing in the choir, which was later on. Obviously, it, it, t- it helped me out. I learned how to at least do proper projection with my voice and stuff that way. Anyways, I, yeah, the school was carved me out. You know, I was definitely it, it made me into something. Were you always uh, a graphic or visual artist as well? Because yeah. you, you kind of remind me of the Chad Elliott and Bob Walkenhorts of the world that not only have this part of your brain that is able to create and play music but you have this visual aesthetic as well so there, there was definitely a, a massive choice when I when I got out of high school you know I, I was I had two feet one foot going possibly to the art institute and one going to the conservatory so there were definitely and how a, lucky you were to have both of those right in your hometown right I had to you know I was taking tons of visual arts classes I was taking like continuing education classes over at the art institute every single Saturday so I'd hang out at the Nelson Atkins and at that point it wasn't free but if you had the pass you could go in 
Right, right. So I just, I hung out for hours and hours there. It was kind of a big, big part of it's kind of getting out of Blue Springs ultimately. Yeah. Um, but I had, I had really good friends in Blue Springs too who uh, seriously influenced me. I mean, this one friend named Travis who got me into William Blake poetry and mythology and reading like the Beats and you know Jack Kerouac and T.S. Eliot and things like Are that. Are you a Joseph Campbell fan? Oh yeah. So we were always, yeah. that was, the, you know, that, that, that video got passed around big time. And then, yeah, we'd watch, you know, every single Stanley Kubrick film that came out or Bergman films and Werner Herzog. I mean, so I remember watching Werner Herzog when I was 18 out of Blue Springs, which if you've been to Blue Springs, it seems kind of like an impossibility that that would occur. Yeah, when I first <laughs> moved to Kansas City many, many, many years ago, the only people that we knew here lived in Blue Springs. And it was a sleepy little burg of about 4,000 people at the time. Yeah. And on the way on the outskirts of Kansas City. So, yeah. yes, I've seen the, the evolution or de-evolution of Blue Springs uh, over the years. When you, since you have both this visual and audio component, if you're feeling kind of stuck in one, can you then kind of switch gears and rely yeah. on the other one? The biggest thing, the, I mean, my visual art now is kind of a, I mean, the only way I can describe it, it's, it's a way to like, yeah, it's switching gears. It's getting my head out of the music for a while and just going visual. Do you get stuck with block, writer's block? Or not really. No. I, that's never, I mean, hopefully that never happens, but I, it does not happen with me. I'm always, always working on something, always trying to, I mean, even in crap, I mean, I just write it, I get it out. How do you know? What are you working on right now? What am I working on right now? As far as writing, I've, I've written like several songs in the last few weeks. Um, so right now my lyric writing has just been, it kind of starts out purely as just like poetry. And it's really, there's not really, it's it's kind of going, obviously, with kind of what's going on right now. It's more of a mirror of, a, of, a mirror of what's going on. I'm kind of, I'm really into not really being incredibly obvious with what I'm writing about. I'm more into just like writing stuff that's, it's kind of an impression of it. So kind of kind of just kind of showing things as as, as a feeling. Oh, on a Saturday walking by I broke a limb off of a dead elm tree I can't remember the time of day When a blood red moon come chasing standpoint of 
not being a generative artist or not being a musician or whatever. It seems to me that this period of time, the last six or seven months during the pandemic, those of you that are creative or generative type artists definitely have the advantage over those musicians who are not, who are entertainers and are in, you know, right. cover bands or whatever right. and really have to rely on tour, the touring and the playing in the bars and restaurants where it's right. mostly covers because they're inter they're entertainers, they're entertaining. And they're being shut down during this period of time and not having that toolkit, you know, to be right. able to, to generate or create, I I really feel for them, you know, and, and worry about right. this kind well, of Right, well, I do too. I mean, I, I got lots of friends who are struggling tremendously. I mean, I, I've been struggling to a little bit, you know, it hasn't been terrible. I mean, I also teach. Right. So the teaching has been a huge, uh, it's obviously the, the bread and butter. It's what I make make my dough on. Yeah, well, I think that <laughs> that's why it's uh, it serves as a reminder to me why our mission at Heartland Song mm -hmm. Network is so important. Right. Um, and that you kind of personify that um, because we're trying to elevate the art of songwriting or song crafting through education, collaboration, and mm -hmm. mentorship. And you are an educator. Right. You are a collaborator. You're in three bands right now. Right. Um, and you're a mentor. You're a teacher. So to be able to have yeah. all three of those tools. It, I mean, it, it, but it's, yeah. It, you have a better better chance of surviving <laughs> this than most, I think. Well, but that's honestly, if you if you stay in this in this business, you figure out ways of existing. You know, if you are saying that you are going to be a professional musician, you cannot purely rely on future things. You have to really focus on the now and adjust on the fly. And that's that's the hardest part about the experience. Do you have an opinion on what should be next or what should come next since this has all essentially been burned to the ground and we're going to be starting over? Ultimately speaking, what I would love to see, I'd like to see more listening rooms where people actually appreciate the music, actually will listen to the music and not just sit around talking and drinking and making a bunch of noise. The biggest thing is about, I mean, I love the venues in Kansas City and I understand that there needs to be, the venues need to make money by selling drinks and food and stuff. And But how many times have you been to shows where just like, people are just talking and they're like looking at a YouTube or something and cranking it up as well as the sporting they can. event is going on behind right. you. Yeah, I played, I played this one bar up in Belton. That's what was happening. We had the actual, you know, the game going, the on. Game going on behind us and people were just looking at, at that. But that's the, that's the type of gig it was. Well, as, as a patron or someone who's been in an audience for many, many years, I find my own evolution as, as an audience member. I started out with rock and roll, mm -hmm. going to festivals and being in crowds with thousands and thousands of people. And as it's evolved over the years, my favorite listening experience is in a listening room or a house concert. Same here. Because I want to hear the music and I don't want to hear about your child's soccer game <laughs> or whatever. Right. Um, and I'm a, you know, I was a soccer mom. You know, I get it. But I don't want to hear about it while I'm right. <laughs> sitting there trying to listen to right I mean I I mean I've only had to like talk to people a few times just to tell them to be quiet on the front row but I'm, I have no problem saying it I'm just you know that's just me I'll just I'll I'm say sorry something. is my performance getting <laughs> in the way of your conversation on the phone like hey man what's going on over there yeah. yeah what's your what's your most positive experience during this upheaval uh I mean I would say definitely I mean I have like several I mean there's been some incredibly generous people I mean when it first occurred I definitely was 
was everything was completely wiped out money wise I mean I all my gigs were done all my teaching jobs were done everything luckily I did you know like the second day after the lockdown I started going virtual somehow or the other I made it happen but other than that I still was kind of I didn't have any cash pretty much it I had like about a thousand dollars so there's been some very generous people donating you know helping me out so I mean I, I would say all the um, well we're not going out anymore so yeah you know there's been a big shift in yeah how our discretionary income is being right. spent and most of it is being spent right supporting so our musician friends. that that was one occurrence that there was you guys and a lot of folks were very very generous to you know put out some funds to help us out it, it got me through and I was definitely using it to buy food and pay rent you know pay, pay medical bills or pay you know just basic things um and then yeah I mean I got myself totally right back on my feet somehow or the other I mean it, it gave that actually gave me a buffer to do it be able to get students and people in and then the other half yeah you guys started doing the COVID collaborations it was great and I was already making music anyways I, I, I put my studio together and it was just like perfect perfect setup for that um, we've been real gratified by the response to that when we first started this yeah. organization in February we didn't know that 30 days later we were going to have to completely pivot on what we were planning to do um, but the collaborations we thought you know these people need something to do and they need to be creative right. um, we can't pay them to do it but let's let's see what even happens. if it's just a distraction yeah I mean to me it wasn't a, it wasn't a distraction I mean working with Robert Castillo was great so he was so much fun to work with and Fritch Hutchinson you know so the both of the ones I've done I think Julie's done a great job of pairing people up that don't know each other and, right well, and the fact I, that you guys have been able to pull these I mean I knew Fritz and I, I met Robert several times but I mean I've been that's so... kind of the exception though in terms of the people that were yeah out. they didn't know each other and they never still have never met you know we've been doing all yeah. this virtually I mean I wasn't I'm having long conversations with Fritz and never never really did until the collaboration mm -hmm. the same thing with Robert Robert's a visual artist too I mean he does great visual visual stuff so I mean I, it was great just kind of listening to what he does and he's an amazing amazing musician um, so is Fritz I mean Fritz has got multi-instrumental stuff going on all the time so it, I mean, that was like absolutely perfect because that's kind of what I do too so we were just you know with that collaboration it was pretty neat because he already had a song I had a song and we were just like well let's just see what happens and you we, submitted two songs yeah so that's why we did two songs yeah. it was like well to make it to make the collaboration work might be better that way you know just go ahead and just do it because we both have tons of songs when you are teaching mm -hmm. and have your teacher's hat on do, is it part of the curriculum to have the children collaborate or write songs yeah. together yeah so I would say with I mean I, I teach the garage band program at Kansas City Young Audiences it's basically that that's what that whole thing's about the more advanced bands definitely will end up writing for sure but it's it's geared from the get-go that way I mean so if the kids are wanting to try to sound exactly like their favorite Green Day album I'm always like well you guys don't look like an album to me you don't look like a CD <laughs> you look like Oscar you know or, or Damien playing guitar and that's a good song so they, it kind of ends up in I have to kind of like bring them down to reality or the idea that they are basically sounding like themselves mm -hmm. no matter how much they're going to sound like that Green Day album they're still going to sound like them playing have you had a student that you thought wow they really have yeah. some potential or they yeah. they really got it yeah I've had I've had a few of them I mean I you don't get a ton of them that way mm -hmm. 
But you also see potential in different ways too, though. You know, so let's say that they they're not going to be the ultimate singer songwriter musician, but they might become a studio engineer, or they might be a producer. Well, one of the things that you said during one of our conversations that really struck me is the ability to use music to teach math and science. Yeah. So. So how does kind of quick? Yeah, quickly. I, I mean, it's so with that. Explain it to me like I'm a third grader because that's how I probably <laughs> have to process it. Well, how do you teach math and science using music? Well, so one of the biggest ones I did, so you talk about the collaboration mm-hmm. thing. Plug Kansas City Young Audiences, I keep doing it. They, they've been doing this thing called STEAM, which is also it STEM is science, technology, engineering, and math. We add the A to it, and it's it's adding the arts to it. So what we've been doing is a pilot program going into like elementary schools and just schools in general. Okay, and that's been we go. So one of the classes, a particular I did, age group we're talking. Yeah. About so here? this one age group that I did was fourth grade. I mean, so it was fourth graders. We went. I went up to like some Liberty School, and they were learning animal adaptations, how do animals adapt to to, to, to nature. So we did. I did like we we wrote a song about the porcupine and like uh, the polar bear and then they would have their science courses along with it and then we do like some kind of visual art component we do some kind of language component and then we would do some kind of interpretive dance component too you know so I tried to I tried to put all those those within that you know that learning process so, so it sounds a lot more fun than writing trying to learn something by rote out of the book. Right. So in like boring scientific curriculum terms, it's called multimodality because you're putting all those components in to teaching this subject. And it's 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 great. So so yeah, we'll say there's one kid who's who's better at writing, and then this other kid who's more of a visual learner, and then another kid has trouble with language. So you know they're all teaching each other this stuff together. You know that's that's what this that's what the steam and thing all is. of our, all of those components are working at the same time: education, collaboration, and mentorship. Right. It's right. All one big, right. Dare I say it? Tasty brew. <laughs> that's the deal. I mean, it really is. I yeah. mean, I, and it that that's something I'm 100% pursuing right now. Yeah, and that's as, something that we. Uh, that the Heartland Song Network definitely wants to pursue because the arts have been the arts and music have been taken away from these kids, right? And, and right. now that all these these parents are having to for the short term, mid term, long term, having to um, teach their own kids at school for a while, right? It would be a lot more fun if the curriculum included that type of dissemination of the information rather than trying to get them to learn this by rote out of a book, right? And it's, the thing is, I mean, that the whole idea of STEM, I mean, it, it is a collaborating kind of thing and that is that's what I that's what's really great about doing you know trying to add more of a, an imagination type aspect to it the Kennedy Center is has, has created an entire curriculum for this you know for like an entire school year I did like I went to the Coffin Center like about a year ago and basically it was it was blowing my mind but it's basically there's they're writing up a curriculum that's already been written for teachers to start applying it question is hopefully they will I hope it happens well hopefully we can help be a catalyst for that sort of thing yeah I mean, I, I, I just think, yeah, if, if you're going to do the teaching of arts and music, that is like one of the, the things that it seems to be be missing in, in a lot of schools right now. So, I mean, if we could figure out a way of making that part of it as some kind of in-school program. Or, I mean, basically what I've been doing is I'll, I'll spend like 45 to 50 minutes a week with, with the teacher and the, and the kids. They'll get to know me. We'll write the songs and then we'll have a final presentation. It's usually like the way we've been doing it. It's like an eight-week program. Now that we're in, we're always in a historical. 
time, but we're in a, a particularly unique and unusual social and historic time right mm. now. In the course of your teaching, it, is, does it ever take a social bent or a way to teach what's or to assimilate what's it, happening around yeah. us right now? It really, I think that I think it could definitely do that for sure. Do you ever share your own music with them? Oh uh, yeah, if, if is a little is it a little too it's, mature and too it's dark? It's a little bit too <laughs> too mature. I mean, I can do the William Blake songs. So, I mean, yeah, I've done yeah. adaptations of William Blake poetry. I mean, done like uh, some Shakespeare too. So it's to me, it, it's a good way of teaching those types of things. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've done that a few times. What but, gives you what gives you the best? What gives you the most satisfaction with all the hats that you're? I I, I like it all. I mean, it, there's feeling the satisfaction. I mean, you're very we're very lucky to have the institutions that you're talking about here. Right. The Kaufman, the Conservatory, <laughs> the Art <laughs> Institute, um, and that you have the ability to kind of seamlessly go in and out of those. Do you have a favorite, or it's whatever's paying the bills that month is your favorite? Uh, basically, I, I I don't really go with the idea of favorites. I mean, I I really go with you know what's what's moving forward and how the experience I'm getting is affecting what I'm doing in the in the in the forward motion of things. Do you find that your music right now that you created, like in the last two weeks, you said you've written a couple of songs, were mm-hmm. they social in nature in any way? Uh, were they definitely a reflection of the age of anxiety that we're in? Yeah. They're kind of like you know, I was talking with with our friend Julie yesterday we were talking about there was during Nazi Germany I mean they had the, the folks who were against what was going on basically had like an internal exile they lived internal exile I, can't, I don't know the German word for it but it's pretty much you know I, I'm writing songs that are kind of at this point kind of are that I, you know I've talked to a lot of songwriters who are having a difficult time writing because they're not out experiencing stuff they've shut down yeah but the thing is if they just they can just go right to like the songs of innocence and experience by William Blake artists who are having trouble writing right now I mean songwriters I mean they would just go read some poetry of how to go the internal path you know or just get outside and yeah but even if you're not getting outside yeah. you know let's say you're living in living in a city that's like COVID laden or living entirely in your head right living entirely in your head so I mean William Blake poetry I mean his, his entire mythology was a very internalized thing kind of created it that direction you know he did make he did make observations of things but his observations were always crazy metaphors and they always look like you know look like there was some kind of struggle within that he was having I think that to me it's good to kind of do that with the writing in general at this point so yeah that's kind of how I've been writing your latest project is the multiverse is that name indicative of what well so because you're both poetry right especially German poets so we'll go into the quantum mechanics of things so there's you have universes (laughs) you have you have the universe and you have multiverse so there's this belief that there are these tiny little universes within universes within universes so the multiverse means that it's that's all yeah so if you if you think it it's there you know so yeah multiverse definitely you could you could tie it into like writing songs and lyrics and things and then her and I yeah we, we've been, been writing tons of songs I mean did this particular project come to be just during the pandemic or was it something you were talking we were about talking about it before the pandemic but we this were, gave you the perfect opportunity yeah to... so we were when we were in New Orleans we were mm-hmm. talking about it and uh, so it's like this juxtaposition Nazi Germany or the, the, the Weimar year Germany sort of during you know right before right before the war started and then the 30s yeah 30s 20s and 30s and then um and after the aftermath too so she she writes about that pretty much throughout the entire album um and then my side of things obviously is kind of talking about you know dilapidated American dream and then there are some def there's a couple songs I would say definitely reflect our time period for sure I'm really I will say this straight I try hard I mean there are definite songs you could time stamp on me that say 
say that this is why I wrote it, but I, I really try not to do that. Yeah, but you know, that's been done, the anti-war songs of the 60s and 70s right. that we thought were only going to have relevance to that particular period uh-huh. of time have definitely stood the test of time and are now as relevant, if not more relevant right. now than they were 50 years ago. So right. I wouldn't I'm, worry too much about that. Well, I mean, I would say my I would say my, my, my feeling of a certain writer, obviously Bob Dylan is huge. So Blowing in the Wind, Hard, hard Rain's Gonna Fall. I mean, those songs, you could say those are fiercely political songs. But they're also, they also stand the test of time because they, they're very human stories. I, I, I think if you are just blatantly singing, you're singing about, my dad, my dad's, he loves to write political songs. I mean, but he, he write just be able to go ahead and just say like lines that are going on at the time. And I'm, I'll say something to him. It's funny, him and I, our relationship's hilarious because, you know, we're both songwriters. So, you know, you're always the, the worst critics of your parents on the planet. So <laughs> there's always that conversation. It seems like I'm, I'm being just like But as harsh. you get older, perhaps you, you appreciate them more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate him totally. He's, he's wonderful. But yeah. My son's starting to get it. But I'll find myself doing that. But that's just, I mean, I on the new album with Multiverse Songs of Latter Days, the title cut, you know, really is more about, it is purely about, it's like a, it's a portrait or it's like a painting of, or a way, it's kind of like, I mean, I attribute it kind of like to the wasteland. I mean, I'm not as good at T.S. Eliot, obviously, but the wasteland is kind of, if you read that poem, it's purely just imagery of, of that moment in time, but at the same sense, it's, it, it, you can read it, you know, in the Renaissance period or in Rome or anytime. And that's, that's why I, that's why I like writing poetry to music as opposed to just really being incredibly literal about everything all the time. In the morning the day began With a sigh breathy words Spoke of a moment spent Flying high with the birds Drifting, pleading, they ran Like so many buffalo herds Where ponies trample the sand Seems soundly afterwards Dreams so faint Words so soft songs that didn't make the album basically we we chose exactly what we were going to put on it and recorded it here locally yep recorded it in a studio yeah so Dwayne Dwayne Trower over at Weights and Majors we had the wires playing with us with the string duo here we had uh, Jason Beers on a few tracks which is great and you did the artwork I imagine I did basically we did I did all the photography and I did all the the graphics on it still in the process of getting that well you've also released two videos that go along with the 
the songs. Right. Seem, they're great, and it seems like that would have taken a lot of creative energy to create the videos yeah, as well. So the, it, are you going to do more of those? Yeah, or? definitely going to be doing more of those. And I, I love making I love making keynote videos. I mean, I, that's the other strange passion I have. I like doing experimental video. And I shot a bunch of, for my for the songs of latter days, I shot a bunch of footage a long time ago of my dad with Super 8 and just kind of made a strange little documentary of him where I'm taking images of like all of his writings and photographs, family photographs. And it just seemed strangely, it just fit automatically to it. Um, so, and then Lenny, that, you know, uh, Bill Hume, Julie's husband, that together with just footage in it is incredibly horrifying actually. <laughs> that was a very compelling video. Yeah. I knew nothing about her. Yeah. So that sent me down a rabbit hole about right. her. She was a real person and yeah. um, was tried as a war criminal, right? right? Exactly. At Nuremberg. That was, that was an amazing story. What can Kansas City and or the Heartland Song Network do for you? For me? That you're not getting? What What is it that collectively this community needs to succeed, to be able to keep our generative artists here in Kansas City like I mean, you? It'd be interesting. Don't go, don't go to LA. Or right. New it would be interesting to actually create, like, I mean, what I'm liking about it, it is a kind of collaborative effort, collective, you know, artists, musicians. It'd be interesting to actually create like maybe a label around it. You actually mm -hmm. create a compilation album. That would be. You are not alone in that thought. You know, <laughs> since we have all these great studios here. Rex Pryor is definitely on board with that. To me, that, that seems, I mean, and then in the other half obviously would be how do we develop education programs? I mean, that would be great. I'd love to be a teacher for it. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, we, we kind of think in terms of if we're thinking about brick and mortar, similar to what the music district is in Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. The danger in a brick and mortar is when something like this happens and you've got rent to pay and staff to pay, right. how are you going to do that? So I see what we think we should be doing is just right now identifying who's here. Mm -hmm. So we don't even know what industry members are here that might be on board to so, get us to do that. With the idea of the label, that would just put the idea of publicity, okay. publicist, stuff like that. Kind of like a 30 Tigers model where right. it's they help with the distribution and right. publicity. Right. The entire thing. Okay. And, it, and it's purely Kansas City. Okay, duly noted. Kansas, Kansas City driven. And you know, that's uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. I would definitely sign up for something like that anytime. What advice, you, I mean, you've been doing this for a while now. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give your eight Eighteen-year-old Chris Hudson self, knowing what you know now. Oh wow! Well, definitely would have told eighteen-year-old Chris to uh, possibly take a little bit more time to get out of Kansas City, <laughs> actually move oh, somewhere no. else, <laughs> but come back, of course. Yeah. But uh, I remember that night in New Orleans, we were down there for Folk Alliance, and you'd not been there, I don't guess. Yeah, I was. We're up and out going up and down Frenchman Street, and we're going in and out of all these bars where all this music is playing, and your eyes were like the size of saucers, and you were saying, "I can't believe I didn't know about this place." I must live here. I must move here. <laughs> I must be here. Well, and that, I'm going, no, no, you can't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, I was, yeah. That I was, was funny. But yeah. I thought, I thought, you know, at the time, he's dead serious. This is like a life-changing moment for him. He's going to go home and pack his bags and yeah. come down here. Well, you know, they But for the pandemic, maybe yeah, you would have. Uh, yeah, probably would have changed. Yeah, yeah. But the main, the main thing about that experience, I mean, I, I love the Folk Alliance experience, but boy, I, I don't think I spent hardly any time at the Folk Alliance checking out anything well, except, except, except what I, I mean, I had to do my job. I was play, I played a couple of showcases, but in between, I was always That's a on, function of that city for sure. I was on the Frenchman Street. I was like, well, I know this, that, that hotel is amazing, man, but it's confined. Did you go to Montreal? Uh, I did not go. Well, I Montreal, of course, was in January. 
in Montreal and it was six degrees and snowing, right. you weren't going to be going out up and down the streets. Right. You it know, makes sense there. Checking out the city. Right. We were hunkered down in that hotel to survive because it, it, was, <laughs> it was not friendly to humans. Was, yeah, totally, totally brutal. You know, I, I would have loved to. Well, New Orleans was a life changing thing in, in a lot of ways. It, it was the, uh, the impetus for this organization. Our relationship with you before was, you know, coming out to Mike Kelly's every once in a while and seeing Gully Washer. Right, right. Uh, we had you as one of our artists when we were doing the Bloody Mary Morning. That was Gully Washer, yeah. We're, we're also making an album, so we're, we're in, currently in a Dwayne Trower's studio doing that. Is it going to be more of a bluegrass? No, no, you know that album. You know that's the thing about Gully Washer. It's never, it's never, never been really a bluegrass band. You know, we just because it has a banjo in it. Yeah, it just has a banjo. So yeah, the, it's a you know the album is uh, it's interesting. What's going to be the lineup on that? Well, you musical. saw you saw Mark trumpet, trumpet player, player. Yes, you know, so everybody. So Matt and Matt and um, Matt and Sam are still there, the bass player. And we have uh, we have Devin. To, Ran on pedal steel from the timbers. Yep, he's, yes. he's playing on a few tracks, and my friend Tra- Chad Brothers, of course, is there. I had to try to get him in there, and he was—he's so gracious to come in and play. We, he's we a all, good picker too. Yeah, we always. I think it's he's from Winfield, Kansas. I think it's yeah. required. Yeah, you're not allowed to be from there unless you can play. He's he's doing he's doing some good stuff up at AKF. He sure is. Seems to be uh, seems to be able to keep it together, man. That's that's that'd be a hard job. It is. It's a hundred thousand watt blowtorch of creative insanity, and he's yeah. right in the middle of it. You know, that's a thing about it. Um, you know, just trying to kind of keep uh, keep the lights on in general right now. I'm hoping that, uh, regardless of what occurs after this election, I, I just know that we're all going to end up hopefully surviving this. We, we're still here this very second, this very moment, and that's a good thing. So we're, I think it's it gonna... is a good thing. And Gully Washer Multiverse. Mm-hmm. Any plans for the Bard Owls to do anything? Uh, the Bard Owls are basically just, it's a chance to get, like, my friend Alexis Barkley to come and play. Yeah. Basically, that's kind of, I mean, I'm, I'm doing a gig today with him. We're doing outdoors, though, so it's... Might it's, be the last one. Might be the last one. Of the year. Bard Owls, ultimately, yeah. That that group is kind of like when I need, like, to change the name of my band so I can get a gig. <laughs> that's kind of what it is. <laughs> they, can't, they, can't, they can't keep going washing Bard Owls and... But Sam, Sam, Sam would totally disagree because he came up with the name any questions for me yeah ultimately speaking i i think it's interesting uh i, I really i dig your show i, I really enjoy the choice of music you do so i mean how did how are you getting you have all these connections with all the all the festivals around you've been you know you go to woody fest you do all these things like that but how did you how did you get all connected with all that stuff or was it purely through kkfi you know kkfi has been the driving force for the last 10 years uh-huh. but my involvement with music and musicians and supporting them and all that has gone goes back to my high school years you know more than 50 years ago my interest in the festivals and kind of zeroing in on a particular artist and right. then i I, it's just an innate desire I have to help somebody realize that huh. because I feel now that this is a kind of a holy trinity. You know, right. the, the art needs to get out there, uh-huh. and so well, I, it's kind of evolved over the years. But it's just Danny and I talk about this all the time. We're always waiting to hear that next song that gives us the goosebumps. Right. You know? Well, I mean, I yeah. That's right. why I go to the festivals. That's why I listen to almost every single piece of music that's sent to me via email or whatever. I'm on the search right. for the I mean, Holy totally, Grail. As a listener, I'm on the Right. I, the I just I like I like how you call your, your songs and put them together. Yeah, sometimes it, it's honestly, it's completely random, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And then I as I listen to the playlists more right. or I actually do the show and then mm-hmm. listen to the show later. Right. I'm like, wow, that was really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean <laughs> that I, was really something. 
Yeah, every time I tune in, I, I'm into it. I mean, I, I like I like the fact that you that you always put local music on too, which is. Awesome. I just feel that's that's really important to do. I mean, there are sometimes when there's a theme to the particular show, uh-huh. or um, yeah, a theme just to try to get it organized, uh-huh. you know, because I do have thousands of songs to choose from and hundreds right. and hundreds of artists. So, um, but it's putting playlists together is something that I've been doing forever. Mm-hmm. And in the old days of cassettes right, so and CDs, mixed, mixed I would make mixtapes and and cds for people's birthdays for their christmas presents for their retire i mean whatever the occasion was if they were leaving town i would make a bon voyage cd for them so do you have like tons of notes like exactly you know dates and everything i I used to keep a lot of that kind of stuff but i do have a record of some of it but no it's just it's just too much i find that really interesting yeah. I, I mean, i've I, got i've got audio of the first you know shows that i did huh. 20 years ago when i was a guest dj wow um and i did used to use a yellow legal uh, pad and write everything down and listen to the cds and start and stop them on my little boom right, or right. whatever it has evolved to the point now where i do everything on my ipad uh-huh. and everything is I download it first and upload it, and it, instead of spending three or four to five hours putting a show together, I've literally put shows together sometimes in ten or fifteen minutes because the technology right. allows me to do that. Right, that's a, that's a nice thing. But it, it also allows me to change it that quickly right. as well. Right. Or I can pull things from. I have two iPads, uh, and so I've got SoundCloud and Bandcamp up on one, and right. Apple on another, and and uh, so the technology has changed exponentially since mm-hmm. I started doing it. But the process and the feeling in my head or in my ear really hasn't changed. Yeah, I just like I like the uh, I like the choices you make. Well, thank you. It's, 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 they've always been. it's what gets me up. It makes me get up week after week <laughs> right. at four thirty in the morning right. to go in and do it because I still like to do it. And we've been talking about doing another show. I'm I'm thinking about proposing an, an additional show that's the Hartman Song Network Radio Hour nice. That'd be and great. and using it as a platform for I mean, I local think, and regional artists. I think, I think that the yeah, I think it, there's definitely a need for that. I mean, it, and I think it's I, I think it's what's good about it is that you that you are you're like you're really you're mixing up all kinds of different genres too with that, and I think that's important. I think it's important for Heartland to tr- keep getting the message out there. We are not just about singer songwriters or right. folk music yeah. um, or country music or roots music or right. whatever you right. want to call it. We have highlighted uh, a choral artist, a, a hip-hop artist, indigenous roots artist. Um, we're all over the place. I wouldn't be surprised if at the end of, end of it, if we have a gener- generative artist here in town that's creating opera. Hmm. You know, one of the things we haven't done is really rock and blues because there's so much of that elsewhere already. Right. But I I mean, it's it's open. I mean, But I it's think, open. Yeah, I think it would be awesome. Write a great rock song. Write a great blues song. Bring right. it. Bring it. <laughs> Right. I was. I've been thinking about like. Yeah, I, do it. I, I mean, I yeah. I have like you know. I have like this isolation tracks like demo series I've been doing mm-hmm. since the beginning of the year. I'm actually I'm you know quietly releasing that in the next couple of days as well, which is pretty funny. But it, it's I just I gotta just keep making like these these massive like multi track projects. So a lot of my writing in general, that's where it's going. It's going into those little demos. So those demos will definitely end up in one of my groups most likely. In the do you future. see yourself doing this still 10, 20 years from now? Yeah, I don't see anything else because I mean I don't know if I have any other skills at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> Well I wish I, I wish I had a temporary skill better. Yeah, but you know, if I had to go like become a mechanic or something or something. Hey, thank you so much for well, coming thank to do you. this today. I'm so honored to do this this month. Boots on the ground eyes wide open 
in sanctuary town day moves on events unfolding they can't keep up with lies unbound the faster they will the swifter we hold on to what they brought down Faster they will, the swifter we 